0: hey what's up everybody and welcome back to that triathlon show the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com i'm your host michael and this episode is q a number 73 before we get into today's questions big thanks to our sponsors First we have precision hydration and uh, a few weeks ago you heard Andy Blow, founder of the company, in episode 218 talk about hydration, race hydration and race nutrition strategies and uh, that's an episode that I highly recommend you go back and listen to if you're interested in learning more about how to use electrolytes in racing and how they might benefit you. Also, we have, we got a couple of follow up questions on that episode and I will answer one of them today as part of the questions that we got sent in and Andy has kindly commented via email on those. So it's actually Andy that provides the expert answers to that particular question today and we'll have another one next week. If you're interested in trying precision hydration's electrolytes, check them out on precisionhydration.com. And use the promo code thatTraflonShow15 to get 15% off your order. Big thanks also to ROCA that you can find on roca.com forward slash TTS. All of Roca's wetsuits use their patented Arms Up technology to give you maximum shoulder flexibility in your swimming. In addition to their normal wetsuit lines, with everything from their entry-level wetsuits up to the Maverick X wetsuit at as the top of the line flagship model, Roca also have two kind of special wetsuits. One of which is a thermal wetsuit for cold water swimming and the other one is a swim run wetsuit and these are products that a lot of people are not aware of so i wanted to mention them because if you are looking at racing in colder water temperatures or if you are interested in swim run and want or are planning to do some swim run racing then those would be great products to have a look at and give a go and if wetsuits is not what you're looking for remember that roca manufacture products like tri suits swim Skins, uh, goggles, uh, buoyancy shorts, uh, eyewear, including sunglasses and prescription glasses. So check them out. Go to roca.com forward slash TTS and there you can get a 20% discount code uh, for your entire order. So the first question for today comes from Rachel in Pittsburgh who writes Hi Michael, thanks for all the excellent content and resources, resources you provide every week. And apologies if this question has been addressed previously. Uh, after about five years of chronic knee injuries i finally i found i finally in the past year found the right combination of technique changes and physical therapy to get some real running volume and quality back into my training which is really exciting as i gradually build up build back up my running load i'm trying to be responsible and avoid uh, aggravating my knee or getting a new injury I've been making sure to add mileage very gradually week over week but also want to start integrating structured warm-ups such as dynamic stretching rather than just taking the first mile or two easy at the beginning of a session as it seems there's good evidence to support this practice. However from what I've been able to find there's less agreement about what particular types of exercises are most valuable so I'm interested in your take on this. In particular, I'd love an easy and quick routine that I can perform outdoors in the winter here in the northeast United States, so not having to sit or lie on the ground would be ideal. Many routines I found online have at least a few exercises that are done on the ground, so I'd have to do them indoors in lighter clothes to avoid getting my warm things wet and then change again to go outside to run, which is a recipe for a routine I won't stick to looking forward to your thoughts and thanks again for uh, the great show and website all right rachel thank you for your question and uh, well kudos for uh, identifying one of the main issues with uh, creating a habit that sticks it needs to be easy and convenient to do i actually just uh, recently read the book atomic habits by james clear which is uh, a great book that i recommend anybody listen to but uh, you have obviously identified that So uh, I totally see where you're coming from with wanting a routine where all of the exercises are such that you can do them uh, at the start of your run, uh, whether it's outdoors or indoors, that you do it without having to change and cause all sorts of additional obstacles, which will prevent you from doing that routine by making it more complicated. But uh, backing up a little bit, uh, I do think that dynamic warm-ups are great to do before every run. Uh, so that is also something that uh, you should have kudos for deciding to start doing them. Uh, I think that the benefit is that they improve the mobility of the joints, which makes for mechanically better running. In particular in the earlier parts of the run, this difference can be massive when you compare with not doing uh, a dynamic warm-up. But I should say that as far as I'm aware, there isn't that much in the way of evidence actually to to support these. I think what you may be referring to is uh, the fact that static stretching before running has actually been shown to impair performance potentially. And this is not the case for dynamic uh, stretching. But uh, that being said, I don't think there is much, if any, scientific evidence for uh, dynamic stretching actually improving performance or even reducing injury risk. However, scientific evidence is not everything. And uh, I think that the best thing for anybody listening to do is to simply try, uh, try a simple mobilization routine on for size, so to say, before every run, including easy and hard runs, for just a few weeks' time, two or three weeks. And based on that personal experience, form your own opinion on whether it anecdotally helps you or not, whether you feel better, perform better in your runs. My coaching experience is that for the majority of athletes, uh, the experience is very positive with incorporating a mobilization routine like this. So as for your question about what routine to use, I actually have one that I that I sent to my coaching clients and it fits like a glove because it does not involve any exercise done on the ground. So I'll post a link to a video of this routine in the episode description so that you can have a look at it. It's uh, 45 minutes long, so uh, that's uh, right around that sweet spot, I think. That's the amount of time that uh, you kind of want to spend to open up your joints, but uh, it's not so long as to make it prohibitive and uh, creating something that, as you say, won't stick. So uh, I'll be the first to admit, though, that it's probably not the best routine in the world, so feel free to modify it if needed. I will uh, go through the principles here, the main uh, reasons behind why i created this routine the way it is and what i want to incorporate in this routine and then if you stick to those principles the exercises themselves aren't uh, they they aren't untouchable you can exchange exercises but try to stick to the same principles and uh, these principles are pretty simple you want to include at least some sort of exercise for each of the major muscle groups and joints involved in running and uh also, not to forget, we should include some spinal and core mobilization as well, which we may not think of as important for running in terms of, yeah, they're not moving that much necessarily, but they are doing a heck of a job stabilizing things. So that is why that uh, spinal and the core mobilization is also not to be neglected. And uh, also, when we're talking about including exercises for these major muscle groups and joints, uh, I would say that uh, the flexion and extension of the hip, knee, and ankle joints are the really the primary ones to make it really specific. So these are pretty simple principles. Uh, you could choose any exercises that work well for you and that incorporate those specific uh, principles. Uh, I also do think that uh, one more thing I should mention it, there is an advantage to doing some exercises that are outside of the main planes of movement of running I, and by that I mean doing some lateral work so for example uh, AD ductor and AB exercises but without going into much more detail than that because anybody that wants to learn more simply look at the video I'll po- post in the episode description And uh, I'll just list the exercises I've chosen that are are included in that routine. And they are uh, a walking quad stretch, a walking knee to chest stretch, a walking adductor stretch. And uh, this means uh, that the knee points out laterally and you pull your foot up towards your stomach. Then we have a walking reach for your toes uh, with a crossover leg stretch. So it's a hamstring stretch essentially, but uh, with a bit of a lateral imbalance component there with the leg crossover. Then we have uh, kicking your foot towards your opposite hand. Next we have walking lunges with a warrior pose rotation. And this is where we really get in that spinal and core mobility and stabilization. Next we have a walking lunge with a big hip extension and I don't really actually have a good name for this one but uh, it's sort of a pulsating movement with the hip so trying to really extend that hip uh, a lot and uh, really feeling that hip extending. So look at the video and you'll see what I mean. And uh, the penultimate exercise here is uh, side lunges wh- working both the adductors and the abductors. And finally, inchworms, which uh, are essentially, well, they're working the entire posterior chain, but hamstrings and calves and the like. So look them up in the video uh, or just uh, search for them on YouTube and you'll find what inchworms are. So uh, I hope that you find this routine useful or you can use an adapted version of the uh, the routine. Either way, good luck and stay injury-free. The next question is from uh, Diego, who writes... Dear Michael, I'm following you on the podcast and I find your tips very useful. Thanks a lot. My name is Diego. I'm from Colombia and currently living in Mexico. In 2020, I have two goals. Ironman 7.3 Cozumel on the 27th of September and Chicago Marathon on the 11th of October, 14 days between the races. I'm looking for advice on how to train for both events considering they are happening in a very short time frame. I was thinking of following a 16-week 7.3 plan and add long runs in there. What do you recommend? Uh, For your information, uh, I have done a 7.3 last year and a marathon in 2018. Uh, Also, what are your advice for tapering and recovering during the 10 days between the races? Many thanks in advance, Diego. All right, Diego, thank you for your question. So uh, I think that, uh, first of all, uh, you should uh, be aware that you can get into very good shape and do well for both of those events, no doubt. Triathlon training does, generally speaking, work really, really well to get you prepared for running events, especially if running is a relative strength for you, then you can actually get into into very 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 good running shape close to a uh, sort of a peak fitness just with the run training you do for a triathlon of course you could get into even better running shape by focusing simply just on the running uh, so if two athletes of the exact same abilities where to race a marathon and one of them has trained specifically for that marathon and the other one has trained for a 7.3 then likely the one who has trained for the marathon assuming the training is good they don't get injured and such they're probably going to win but what i'm saying is that you can probably get to 90 or 95 percent of your marathoning potential doing 7.3 training let's call it 90 percent um, so close but not quite to 100 percent But then on the other hand, if you were to do marathon training as your main training and then just try to race a 7.3 or any triathlon really on that marathon training fitness, then you will be far away from your capacity in triathlon. And I think that we all intuitively understand this. Your swimming will be really poor, and your bike won't be very good either. So, yeah, that's that's pretty clear when when we just spend a second to think about it. Uh, so, triathlon translates well to to running. Running not as well to triathlon. Uh, of course, there are some exceptions, such as if you have a very strong swimming background, for example, being a competitive swimmer in your youth, then you might be able to have uh, a very decent or a good, very good triathlon swim any day of the week on very little training. And you might have a massive aerobic engine, so you're biking what might be just you, you might be basically riding that aerobic engine wave on the bike even without that much training and, and so on but let's assume that you're a normal age group athlete without any special circumstances like that sort of sportive, sporting background and then I think that uh, what I just said holds true that travel training translates really well to running not as much the other way around So if the two events are equally important to you, I would recommend that your training should be primarily focused on the 7.3, as you are suggesting already, because you're planning on using the 16-week plan. Uh, And uh, I do agree with you, again, that the long run is where you should make some changes compared to just the normal 7.3 training. So what you should be doing is uh, make some of the long runs longer and also have some of them include segments at your marathon pace. You'll most likely have done both of these types of long runs, just easy uh, easy runs or e- aerobic runs uh, and the, the race pace runs in your previous marathon training because they are very very typical in in marathon training programs. The typical rule of thumb for marathon training is to do a couple of long runs that are let's call them thirty two kilometers or so as part of your training. And depending on how fast you are, this might be three hours or so of running. So very long running. But the majority of your long runs can be significantly shorter than that. So maybe you have a couple more that are two and a half hours, but most of your runs don't need to be any longer than two hours or maybe two hours 15. So what I would uh, try to do in terms of the race pace running is to have maybe three or four long runs that where you include significant portions of marathon pace in them. So perhaps building up to between 20 and 24 kilometers of marathon pace in your most meaty marathon pace run. This could be, for example, something like three times seven kilometers at marathon pace with one kilometer's recovery. The thing that you will need to be the most careful with is recovering from these long runs because they will be much more taxing than the much shorter long runs that you would do on free training. So I would suggest that the day after A long run like this even if it's not 32 kilometers but even just a two hours or two hour 15 run you make that day a very easy day and potentially even the following day after that super easy day might be uh, not not quite as easy or light but it might be suboptimal for doing really hard sessions So let's assume you do your long run on Sunday then Monday might be just a short and easy swim or a bike or maybe both if you're more of a high volume athlete then you could do both but keep both short and easy. Tuesday might be a day when you do one to two sessions that are a bit longer uh, but uh, still focusing on the aerobic endurance side of things and then on Wednesday you probably are ready again to do some harder training. Of course, you can and should experiment yourself and maybe find that you can hit out a hard swim on Tuesday after a Sunday long run without any problem. And if you can, by all means, go for it. The, the point that I'm trying to make here is that you need to respect and accept the recovery requirements that these really long runs impose. And if you find that on Tuesday you are still recovering from the long run and not in the state to do hard workouts don't let that be a concern for you that's completely normal just adjust your schedule accordingly and realize that allowing yourself the recovery needed is how you'll benefit the most and gain the most adaptations in the end the final thing i want to mention is that with 10 days between the races so this is coming into the recovery and taper side of things you can't expect to do a lot of training between the races and in particular you can't expect to do big hard workouts uh and sorry i said 10 days but i went 40 days uh, so that was a bit of a a brain a uh, brain slip there uh but you need to recover of course from your uh race and then you need to get tapered and freshed again for uh, and fresh again for the marathon so there's no real building fitness between the two races they're just maintaining fitness you should do some sharpening work in this period which uh, includes some more intensity uh, and that would be intensity on the run side of things because the marathon is the second race but volume should stay pretty low probably at a similar level to what it already was when you were tapering for that 7.3 which might have been a 7 to 14 day taper but i would say it might be a good idea to keep some swim and bike training in that period between races to, to keep up the, the volume with something that is slightly less taxing because swimming and uh, cycling will be less taxing on the body than, than running, generally speaking, at least from a muscular perspective. So you can keep up more of that, uh, those central adaptations, the, the aerobic capacity at a central level by keeping your volume at a more relatively higher level than what you would be doing with running alone by still doing doing the swim and the bike training so that's uh, that's actually a recommendation i would do definitely drop down on the amount of swimming and biking but still keep some of it in there so that you don't suddenly start doing a lot more running than you were used to uh, because uh, at that point you suddenly start doing more running and only running I don't think that the potential benefit of added run training would outweigh the risk of a niggle cropping up when when you're increasing your running volume. So so for some specifics, I would probably recommend just easy aerobic training Monday through Friday after that 7.3 race. Uh, Then if you want to do a little bit of a, a harder swim on Thursday or Friday, then go for it. Then on Saturday, do a medium run, maybe 75, 80 minutes or so, with some marathon pace running. Maybe you could do seven kilometers at marathon pace, eight kilometers at marathon pace. So that would be Saturday, so eight days before the marathon. And then in race week, I would uh, incorporate some slightly faster running. So, for example, four times one kilometer at threshold pace or slightly slower than threshold pace with relatively long, relatively long recoveries in between. So this could be on, on Tuesday in race week. And then on Thursday, do, do uh, an easy run, but include two or three kilometers at Marathon race pace uh, as part of what is otherwise so just an easy short run. Friday, I would recommend you rest. And then Saturday, an easy short shakeout run with just some strides. So I hope that this helps, Diego. Good luck with the 7.3 and the Marathon. And then finally, we have uh, Miles who commented on the interview with Andy Blow in episode 218. I'll link to it in the episode description. If you haven't listened to it, go and do that. Miles says, interesting podcast. I have one question. How is consuming electrolyte fluids, independent of caloric intake, going to increase gastric transit time? I agree that strictly consuming fluids with electrolytes will have faster gastric transit times than a carbohydrate fluid. But this is not all that is going on during a triathlon. Whether the fluids have carbohydrates or not, the athlete will need to be consuming calories, which will slow the transit time, no matter if they are in the same solution or not. What are your thoughts? So I reached out to Andy to get his comment on this question. And Andy writes, uh, so I'm uh, directly uh, quoting Andy on, on this. The main rationale for consuming calories the vast majority if not all from more solid foods including gels and bars rather than in a carbohydrate liquid is that this allows the body to digest the food more slowly because the food forms a bolus in the stomach that can then drip calories more slowly into the intestine which still while still allowing fluids and electrolytes from the hypotonic drink to be absorbed rapidly if required this seems to work especially well in hot conditions where fluid and electrolyte requirements can be extremely high but caloric needs don't tend to escalate much from whatever is normal of the length or intensity of workout being done so this was the first answer i got from andy and i followed up uh, and uh, what is your clarification why is it uh, so because what what i assume that miles is asking which was also what i was asking is uh, why is it any different how the electrolytes and fluid and calories are coming in aren't they all going to mix in the gut anyway so we run into whatever is in the gut is going to mix and then that is going to determine the gastric emptying and gastric transit time and so forth Uh, but then i commented is the answer that they in fact do not mix and andy wrote back exactly Whilst they do mix to a degree, all of the carbs are not simply diluted into a liquid so they can be digested and absorbed more slowly and to an extent independently of the fluids being absorbed. So that clarified a lot of things for me actually because this was something that I definitely did not have uh, a clear understanding of so I thought it was really interesting to to get this clarified. Uh, Thank you Miles for sending in the question. Thank you Andy for taking the time to answer it in detail and that's it for the questions for today you'll find find links in the episode description to the pre-run mobilization video uh, that i made and to episode 218 the interview with andy blow if you have questions for q a episodes send them to michael at scientific and that's michael with a k tune in on monday for an interview with uh, coach ryan bolton coach and former olympian u.s olympian ryan bolton and uh, that is that is a juicy of an issue. It's very long and we go into a lot of things. I really enjoyed that talk. So do not miss that. It's going to be worth uh, listening to it. If you are looking for coaching or training plans for this season, check out com and the products and services that we offer there. Thank you to our sponsors, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Get a free hydration plan and use the promo code thattriathlonshow15 to get 15% off your order of electrolyte products. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com forward slash TTS. That's where you can get a 20% discount code for Roka's wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, high-performance eyewear, and prescription glasses. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.